But for the next six Sundays, we're going to focus on experiencing the goodness of God in our personal connections with other people. And we'll be spending four of those six Sundays on spiritual practices that help us um, experience goodness in our relationships. They're actually spiritual practices that help us relate to others. Um, and then we're going to spend two Sundays on like membership in Blue Ocean Faith. What does it mean to be a member of our church community? Remember, we have a, a little different approach to membership in our church. Rather than signing up to be a member for the rest of your life or indefinitely or whatever, we have a one-year renewable approach to membership. So each year we're all invited to either renew our membership for the coming year, for 2017, or if we've not been a member before, to become a member for the first time. So the series is kind of preparation for that, and you'll have an opportunity to indicate your intention to uh, become a member uh, during this series. We'll have a letter that you can sign and turn in, probably starting next, next Sunday. Um, those of you who are renewing probably want to do that earlier, and those of you who want to hear more about the church, I imagine wait till later to uh, indicate wanting to be a member. So, but today begins four Sundays on spiritual practices to help our, um, our personal connections. So, you know, we all know that harmful relationships um, affect us, and they affect our ability to engage in future uh, more positive relationships. And this is verified in what we know about uh, the brain and how the brain works. Um, harmful relationships actually hinder our brain's capacity to experience goodness in good relationships. So that sucks. I mean, that's like a double whammy, isn't it? So, you know, like bad experiences of the past make better experiences in the present or in the future more difficult. But, the blessed conjunction, but the brain can heal through certain practices. The brain can heal through better relationships, but there are certain practices that help us to be able to connect in better relationships when our brains have been affected by negative relationships. So scientists call these exercises, but they really correspond to time-tested uh, spiritual practices rooted in the wisdom of the Bible and the wisdom of Jesus and the Bible read through the lens of Jesus, which is our approach here at Lotion Faith. Um, this is super, this topic uh, is super relevant to a church like Blue Ocean Faith because, uh, I, I don't know, about maybe a quarter of our members have experienced extreme stress in their uh, uh, previous church relationships, wherever those have been, owing to their sexual orientation or their gender identity. We've heard many of, the, many of those stories over the past year. Uh, and in that case, actually being part of a church, which normally is good for your mental health, it's a positive thing in all the research, um, but if your church is discriminating against you, it's actually a harmful thing in, in, uh, for your mental health. And so many of us in, in this church have experienced that. Um, and of course, any form of injustice causes stress that affects our personal connections. Um, this past week, for example, uh, the Senate passed a bill to finally send aid to uh, the long, um, you know, suffering residents of Flint who have been without safe drinking water for, what, three years now, I think by a vote of like 93 to 7, the Senate said we're going to do that. The House of Representatives is doing nothing. It's like dead in the water. It's not in the budget. Now just imagine the stress if you're living in Flint 
and you don't have safe water coming out of your tap and you're dependent on water in bottles. Um, or, or when yet another unarmed black man is killed at a police stop. I mean, imagine the stress on our families with young black men as part of, the, part of their families and they're having to talk this over with their young sons. Uh, to say nothing of the things that can affect anyone. Uh, a bad marriage, a hard upbringing, the job or boyfriend from hell that we keep too long. Uh, things that jangle the same nerves that we actually need to foster good connections or to experience goodness in our good relationships. So um, I've been using as a book in preparation for this series, and I recommend it if, you, if, you, if this is your appetite, this sort of thing. You'll know if you like it or not. It's called Wired uh, to Connect by Amy Banks uh, with Leanne Hirschman, I think is a, kind of a writer supporter. Uh, the surprising link between brain science and strong, healthy relationships with the sub-subtitle includes brain exercises for building better relationships. I salivate when I see a book like this, you know. Uh, <laughs> So if, it, if, if uh, it, it, uh, you either if you're, feel intense need in this area or you also salivate when you see a title like that, you might want to pick it up. But um, the authors describe four distinct brain systems that can be harmed by bad relationships and healed by good, good ones. And also these brain exercises that I'm calling spiritual practices that make it possible for us to engage more fruitfully in our relationships. The four um, systems correspond, of course, to an acronym. The acronym is CARE. So calm, accepted, resonant, and energetic. So good connections, good personal relationships depend on our brain's ability to calm itself when stressed, to experience acceptance when it's there to be had, to resonate with others, and to be energized in our personal relationship, to get a lift when we connect with other people. The good news in the book is that when these systems degrade, when, when, they, when they don't function as well, and that happens when we're in toxic or difficult relationships, our brains can heal through these very specific practices that help us in future relationships. And wouldn't you know, Jesus is a very helpful guide in this healing process. So uh, for each of the four Sundays of this portion of our series, we're gonna look at those four, four systems and the wisdom of Jesus to help us. So the first is calm. Uh, of course, you've all experienced that when you're under stress, uh, it's bad enough, but almost worse is that your relationships suffer when you are under stress. Um, when we're under stress, we misread people, we get irritable, we expect the worst, and we miss the best in others. Uh, we highlight negative cues in relationships, and we miss positive cues. Um, you know, they, in studies, I love this, marital satisfaction is high before you have children. It takes a significant dip during the child-rearing years, which could be a while, and then rises after the kids have left home. <laughs> it's, and yet everyone wants to have kids, it seems. It's like, <laughs> well, that's the stress effect. There's two things going on in our bodies when we're talking about the stress effect. One is our alarm system. 
you know, the, the famous fight, flight, stress response is overactive. It gets set too high and it's hard to turn it off. And then secondly, our calming mechanism, our brain's natural calming mechanism is underactive. So the calming system, I love this part, and this will be over soon, don't worry. The, cal <laughs> the calming system includes our 10th cranial nerve, which is also called the vagus nerve. In this respect, it's called the smart vagus. I love that you can tell you have a vagus nerve because when you eat a popsicle too fast, you get brain freeze. That's, I believe, the vagus nerve at work. I cannot eat a popsicle slowly, and so I always I enjoy it, and then oh, I get to stimulate the vagus nerve and as it's going down because it's the, it's the longest nerve in the body. It's, it's from up here all the way down to the gut, and it runs all the way through and connects a lot of things. Chronic stress can literally shrink the vagus nerve. It gets thinner, the connections become less robust, it becomes less active, it's less effective under chronic stress. So what we need, given these two systems, is we need practices to dial down our alarm system when it's set too high, and then to strengthen the vagus nerve, the calming thing that naturally uh, serves that function in our bodies. The first thing, uh, so we're going to look at, I think, like four-ish practices. The first is called interrupt and refocus. So when you notice yourself feeling tense or overwhelmed or irritable or anxious or too wound up, the simplest way to interrupt anxiety is just to take a deep, relaxing breath. And it has the physical effect of relaxing you. It's interesting to me that the first divine human interaction in scripture was experienced by the human as like a deep, relaxing breath, right? If you're familiar with that second origin story in Genesis 2, the Lord God fashioned the human, humus from the soil, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the human became a living soul or a living creature, Genesis 2, 7. Yeah, you may know that the word for spirit in both biblical languages, in Hebrew, the language of the Old Testament, and in Greek, the language of the New Testament, the word for spirit also means, like equally, breath. So literally, Holy Spirit could just as easily be translated holy breath. So notice it says that God breathed into the human's nostrils. Um, I think this line probably resonated with the people who first heard and passed this story on because they knew from experience that a deep relaxing breath is generally through the nostrils rather than the mouth, right? People knew by experience that a deep breath like that was life-giving and calming. So they pictured God starting us off with such a breath. So a couple of years ago, I, um, I went through an intense, uh, like, boo-honky period in my life with a lot of stress, but the thing that troubled me about it was not just the, the boo-honky leading to the stress, but I was newly married at the time, and I was a, a new stepdad. And like, I wanted to like, like be on my game in terms of personal connections, but I knew how stress could really 
diminish your capacity to experience goodness in relationships. But fortunately, I had learned earlier for other reasons to do like a 12-minute breathing exercise that uh, leads to relaxation. So during that period, for about three months, literally, two and most, most days, three times a day, I took 12 minutes for two or three times a day, and I did my relaxation exercise, and it just dialed down the anxiety enough to be able to engage more profitably in these newer relationships that were so important to me. Um, a, simpler, um, a simpler breathing exercise is called 478. Okay, so I'm gonna teach you 478 now. I may have mentioned this before. You start 478 breathing by exhaling through your mouth, uh, make a whoosh sound, like get, try to get rid of all the air in your lungs. Then close your mouth and inhale quietly through your nose to a mental count of four. Then hold your breath for a count of seven, whether it's a second or a half a second, it doesn't matter, it's the proportions that matter. Hold your breath in for a count of seven, and then exhale completely through your mouth, making like a, a, a quiet whoosh sound, uh, to a count of eight. Okay, so you get rid of all the air in your lungs, you breathe in through your nose to the count of four, you hold it to the count of seven, and then you release it through your mouth to a count of eight. We'll practice it during our, our uh, two-minute uh, uh, two silent reflection time. That's one breath. And so you do that cycle maybe three or four times, and it actually has an immediate calming effect on your body. So, you know, one thing people recommend is like just try, whether you're in a stressful period of your life or not, try it like twice a day, um, that little sequence, just so it becomes second nature and it's easy and you don't have to be anxious about whether you're doing it right, just self-defeating. And then you can um, have that in your little bag of tricks and use it. Now, if you can combine that relax, relaxing breathing with a moment of refocus, now, I mean, like you're really in, you're in platinum territory at this, at this point. So refocus, interestingly, plays a key role in the teaching of the New Testament about anxiety. And the, the teaching about anxiety in the New Testament in concentrated form is in Matthew chapter 6, um, uh, words of Jesus on anxiety, and in Philippians chapter 4, words of uh, the Apostle Paul on anxiety. So starting with Matthew 6, I'm just shortening this uh, to make the point. For this reason, I say to you, Jesus speaking, don't be worried about your life. Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. So the, the only thing to notice here is how Jesus links freedom from worry or anxiety with a shift of focus. So don't worry is mentioned twice, and it's followed up immediately in each case with some version of look outside at something that is oblivious to your worries. You know, Look at the birds or consider the flowers of the field. So at the simplest level, he's saying, once you notice yourself being anxious, don't double down 
on the thing that you're anxious about and try to figure it out and make it go away or, or understand it or analyze it or fuss over it, but shift your focus to something outside of your narrow anxiety sphere. And we're never more narrow in we're thinking than when we're worried. Like our, our world just shrinks, doesn't it, when we're anxious, when we're worried. So shift your focus to something outside of that sphere and focus on that for a period of time. So this uh, refocus strategy is also echoed in Paul's teaching on anxiety in, in Philippians 4. It's even maybe more explicit. His don't anxious, be anxious about anything, is followed by whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is lovely, whatever is worthy of praise. Let your mind dwell on these things. Dwell is a very good word, right? Because that's exactly what our minds are doing when we're anxious. That we're dwelling on things in an unhelpful way. Um, we rehearse the thing we're concerned about. We maintain an extended focus on whatever negative outcome we're pondering. And, you know, our, our, our minds are kind of like a toddler. Um, you don't say to a toddler, you know, don't grab your sister's toy you present like a more appealing toy and you offer it to the toddler. You refocus the toddler. Shift the focus is the key. Uh, one of the brain um, exercises in the book um, under the calm section is to like have a go-to memory that you have kind of um, prepared for this purpose of a time or an episode, especially if, if it can be a very practical, specific memory of a, a time or an episode when you felt connected to someone without anxiety, when it was just surrounded by good feelings. Uh, the more vivid the memory, uh, the better. And then just sit with that memory, flesh it out, and then use it as your go-to memory to refocus on when you're finding yourself uh, anxious. So like mine would be, I've got like a really good one. This is awesome. There's just no way you're gonna have as good of one of this, but I'll, I'll just throw it out there. Um, I, was, I went to a, on a trip with my brother-in-law, Bill. Uh, I think I was like in my early 40s, had never been to Yosemite. It had like quite an effect on me. It was just like, I had no idea a place like that existed and it, it was way better than what I saw on the postcards and it's a valley so you feel surrounded and when you enter it it's like the whole rest of the world is just fading and it's this, whole, it's this glorious Edenic kind of place and, and we, we went up like on day three we went up to Half Dome which is you know quite the, quite the hike and crawling up Half Dome is kind of dicey and we, we, we were tired but on the way back it was all downhill at a certain point it's, we started running and we were running like 10 year old boys I don't know if it's a downhill or maybe we hit like uh, we had the endorphins going for being out on Half Dome or but we were running like we'd each hit our second win. And like, I'm sure I've exaggerated it and, you know, in my mind, but it was like one of those dreams where you run and you're half flying and then you run some more and you're flying a load. I had that experience running with Bill and we were just filled with like exhilaration and joy and it felt completely awesome. Like that would be a, a, a terrific 
like memory to go back to because you're you're calm you're energized and anxiety is just the farthest thing from you so you interrupt your anxiety with a few deep breaths as as i described and then if you can combine that with shifting your focus away from your fussing even just for 30 seconds or a minute toward your all is well scene that's a that's a very effective means to just dial down your alarm system. Now there's a couple of practices uh, to tone your vagus. And believe me, I spent a long time trying to figure out how I could work what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. And I couldn't do it. So if something comes to your mind, let me know. I'll change it in the notes. I'll put it on the website and I'll feel that much better. Um, but there's two practices to tone your vagus, that 10th cranial nerve that is part of your natural calming system when you're revved up too high. This thing kicks in, your vagus does, and it calms you down. The two practices are, you're going to think this is hokey, but bear with me, smiling and listening. So the physical act of smiling and paying careful attention like you do when you listen um, tones your vagus nerve. Um, the book of Proverbs says, a cheerful heart um, brings a smile to your faith. But the research also indicates it works in reverse. A cheerful heart brings a smile to your face, but a smile on your face actually strengthens a cheerful heart, in this case your vagus nerve, which is connected to your heart, but that's another thing. So. Um, uh, my wife, Julia, who is uh, an Episcopal priest, she was the um, worship director here at this church uh, for 24 years before she became um, a priest. And I actually saw her um, a few years ago operating as like a, in her like music leadership position. And then I watched a, a DVD of her like uh, retirement party or whatever. And I saw her in action. And the thing that was so um, striking is that she was standing at the piano playing, the choir was behind the piano, and she was just like grinning from ear to ear with her eyebrows raised. I think, I guess that's easy to do when you're singing and you know, whatever, unless you're Bob Dylan and you're, you know, the blues or whatever, but you know, and you're mumbling instead of singing, but you know, she had her eyes raised, she had this big smile on her face, and the instructive thing was everyone in the choir was like responding to her smile with their own smiles, and it was like, whoa, it was happening. And these are Episcopalians, you know, I mean, if you're, if, <laughs> Episcopalians is like, you know, like being enthusiastic or like overly like, you know, um, excited about things. That's, that's not the done thing, but this, this choir, and it's interesting when she was the choir director there, that was like the connectional center for the church was, was the choir. There was so much connection going on. I think it was related to the way she was smiling and getting people smiling back. Now, the thing that was uh, fascinating to me is that Julia told me that in her everyday interactions, she actually had to be intentional about smiling until it became more second nature. Uh, because her more relaxed um, expression actually is a frown. So she's just like relaxing or before going to sleep, she just naturally frowns. Uh, she mentioned that I got permission to share this when she was newly married to her uh, first husband, now her late husband, Richard, who, by the way, was an English professor at the uh, University of Michigan, Richard Bailey. Anyone have Richard Bailey as an English professor? There you go. Um, 
Richard, when he, when he was newly married to um, Julia, uh, would misinterpret, think that she was displeased with him when she wasn't because she was just doing her relaxed frowning thing. And so she made a point, especially when talking about certain things that would be easy to misinterpret as I'm displeased with you, she would smile. And it made a real difference in their relationship. So it sounds ridiculously simple, but smiling at people more often actually strengthens your vagus nerve, the part of your um, nervous system that you want working well because it calms you down. Um, and that helps your connections with other people. So I'm, like, I'm not like the, a natural smiling person, so I've been, I probably smile more in church than like in any other, other setting. And it's part of like, I get a lift out of church because I see people, I smile, they're smiling at me, I smile back. It's, it's, like, a, it's like a smile fest, I like it. It's great for my vagus nerve. Keep the vagal tone going, people. Um, but I, I've been having fun with uh, like going into Starbucks or in the grocery store or whatever and making a point intentionally to smile at the person who is serving me. You know, often they're just kind of in a, in a zone, like a you know, dull kind of thing zone, and, unless they've been trained to smile. <laughs> but I give them a, a smile, they smile back almost invariably. It just, it just works that way. And then at the end of the interaction, you know, I, I give them, I bust out a big grin and, you know, we have our moment together and it strengthens my vagal tone and it's, it's awesome. So listening um, actually does the same thing. So what the vagus nerve, one of the functions of the vagus nerve is that tightens the small muscles in your ear that you use when you're listening intently to someone. So actually pausing to listen carefully rather than, you know, distractedly to someone speaking, whatever it is they're saying, strengthens your vagus nerve and your ability to calm yourself. Um, this is fascinating to me because like the one refrain that Jesus had in his, in his teaching, the thing that he repeated several times at the end of his teaching, the same refrain we, the readers use for the readings here is those who have ears let them hear and that was his very vivid way of saying listen pay attention to what you're hearing um, yeah so if you practice that if you if someone, you're having an interaction with someone and you find yourself distracted and you notice your anger just tune in listen to them, and that will have the effect of stimulating, strengthening the connections in your vagus nerve, and you'll be a calmer person, and it will improve your ability to engage in your relationship. So, two-minute reflection time. Duh, guess what we're gonna do? <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll, practice the, we'll practice the four, seven, eight breathing for uh, a little bit. And then um, just you, we'll use the rest of the time after that for you to just um, spend the minute just thinking about, do, do I have like a, a good um, go-to memory that I could use of a time in my life when I just had a great interaction or a, a good episode or a good connection with someone so that I could go to that, that memory as a refocus when I, found myself, when I find myself being anxious or overwrought or overwhelmed. So, um, 
So, you know, relax, play if you want to, let your mind wander if, you, if this is too, you, you don't enjoy this sort of thing. Um, let's practice the four, seven, eight. So again, it's just you begin by breathing out through your mouth. You can make a little gentle whoosh sound. So you're expelling the air. You breathe into the count of four through your nostrils. You hold it for the count of seven and then you expel it through your mouth at the count of eight. So, let the air out of your mouth. Breathe into a count of four. Hold it for seven. Let it out through your mouth with a count of eight. Just to rehearse, you let it out your mouth with a whoosh. You take it in to the count of four through your nose if you can. <laughs> you hold it for seven and then release it again through the mouth with that whoosh, quiet whoosh sound to the count of eight. So go ahead and practice that for 30 seconds, say. Okay, there you go, four, seven, eight breathing. Second one would be um, uh, taking about a minute to reflect on whether you have one of those memories or if you can call one to mind and just like fill in the details, like try to focus on what that memory is so that you can identify it and uh, use it. Okay, so I'll give you a minute to do, to do that. Okay.